0: This is Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bateman. This is the place where people from all walks of life share their anxiety stories to remind you that you are not alone. If you have an anxiety story you'd like to share, contact us at anxietycanada.com slash Our Anxiety Stories. This is John Bateman. You're listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast which can be found on all your popular podcast platforms and at anxietycanada.com slash our anxiety stories. Today, I'm talking to educator, mother and cancer survivor, Kelda Logan. Hey, Kelda.
1: Hi, Johnny. How's it going?
0: I'm doing fine. Wow. You dropped dropped your hand already. Now everybody knows you know me because you (laughs) call me Johnny, which is great. That's fine.
1: Should I say Mr. Bateman?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Please. Um, we, uh, I always kick it off with the same first question and um, yeah, to, to the best of your ability. Uh, Kelda, what's your anxiety story?
1: Um, I think my anxiety story started a long, long time ago. And it started with a complete lack of awareness about anxiety and about the fact that I even had it. Um, I think I had anxiety from the time I was really young mm-hmm. and I just uh, thought that was normal. Like just mm-hmm. bop, bebopped along through my life and didn't realize that I was suffering, even though I had panic attacks sometimes, and mm-hmm. there were certain things I couldn't do because of my anxiety. I just did not know that that wasn't normal. So it, right. Yeah. Like, for example, um, I am really terrified of spiders. And I know that sounds really silly, but.
0: No, it, no. I, it, every fear, legitimate. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, there, like, there were certain countries I wouldn't travel to because I was afraid that there would be spiders there. And there's certain areas of the house I grew up in. I couldn't go in because there were spiders in there and, wow. and that kind of thing. And then, like, I had several panic attacks flying when I was mm-hmm. young and didn't know what was wrong with me and I was just kind of told to like calm down and (laughs) you know that I was being silly because Mm. the word anxiety wasn't really used a lot I think when I was growing up at all.
0: 100%.
1: Yeah and then it really kind of came to um, sort of a more debilitating place when I became a mother Mm. because um, nowadays they call it postpartum depression and anxiety but at the time um it was just called postpartum depression and I wasn't actually depressed I, I was very happy with my beautiful baby mm-hmm. and doing like quite well
2: mm-hmm.
1: but not doing well also because there, like it it basically my anxiety for this beautiful little being in my care just skyrocketed and Mm -hmm. um and it started to generalize from there so it became like I got anxious um driving on the highway you know Mm -hmm. that kind of thing and then I suddenly had to drive like West Saanich Road instead of the highway you know that kind Ah, of so I started doing all the workarounds you know because of my anxiety
0: yeah yeah The, one of the questions that, it, you know, I always say my first question is your anxiety story. One of my second questions is almost invariably um, my, the podcast should be called, you know, our anxiety stories. And what were your first symptoms of anxiety? Because that's what I'm really cu- curious about. You know what, you know, you didn't define it as anxiety, but what kind of physical or, or maybe even emotional symptoms that you have that now in retrospect, you knew were anxiety.
1: It's totally in retrospect, but in the moment, I mean, I had the shortness of breath, the sweaty palms. Mm. Um, I remember trying to drive on the highway and my palms were so sweaty. I had to keep wiping them on my pants as I was trying to drive down the highway. And then I would slow down. I was one of those really annoying people who would like not drive over 80 on the highway. And (laughs) everyone else was like, yeah, (laughs) mad at me. But, um, yeah, it just, just all, yeah, like a lot of that rapid heart rate Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, a lot of obviously what if thinking and getting caught up into like what I call brain worms, like, you know, scenarioizing to the point where um, it was just easier not to do something.
0: So, yeah, well, anxiety dwells in the future often. Yeah. And and that's, and of course, one of the frustrating things about being human is not being able to predict the future. Yeah. Uh, And some of us deal with it better than others. I was never good at dealing with predicting the future, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, what what I'd like, I mean, you know, you mentioned that you were definitely like, you've had some phobias generated by anxiety. You've had anxiety limit the way you interact with the world. Yeah. Um, You know, did you have you Got you found your way to get around a lot of that yeah obviously yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. really
1: happy to say that um first of all I can drive on the highway again Yay. yeah I mean maybe not the 401 at,
0: at 80 or, <laughs> or have you moved up to about 85 yet
1: oh no I'm like 100 <laughs> wow yes
0: <laughs> awesome
1: and I can fly without like needing to drug myself at all
0: flying was a big one for me yeah
1: it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so yeah so I have Um, being able to, I think, do a pretty good job of noticing, first Mm -hmm. of all, which was the big first step for me, like, uh, because it was so unconscious, Mm -hmm. like, I was just feeling the feeling I I was feeling, Mm -hmm. and then reacting immediately to that in a sort of a panicky way, Mm -hmm. that uh, there was really no awareness at all that, what I was experiencing was an actual panic attack or anxiety. I just, it sounds so silly now, but literally it was so unconscious. I Yeah. Had no idea. Yeah, and for sure. Now I'm more able to see that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm able to sort of see it coming. <laughs> yeah,
2: and, yeah.
1: You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, gee, my palms are sweaty as I'm driving again. Hmm, s- seems like it's anxiety. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah what do we do when we, you know, get to that place? So um, Mm -hmm. I think the things that helped me the most really was um, sort of developing a, like a meditation slash mindfulness practice. And um, I was one of those people a long time ago that was like, oh, I can't meditate. That's not for me. Because I had a very preconceived idea of what, meditation meant I thought it meant having a clear blank mind
0: right yeah Um, it's a common common misconception
1: right so I was like the first time I sat down to try meditating I noticed all my racing thoughts and I was like well I suck at this
0: (laughs) exactly it's a form of torture really it
1: really was a form of torture and every noise bothered me because I was again reaching for that perfect state that Mm. is very unachievable as a human being mm-hmm. and so yeah so what I decide, what I learned over time with you know more understanding and practice is that it's not at all about achieving a state of no thoughts or feelings because we are actually human and that's pretty much impossible yeah but what it is 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 about noticing the thoughts and noticing the feelings and giving totally. them some space
0: Mm-hmm. So. yeah I, I i tried meditating in the comments in the common kind of you know ways to find sitting down and you know however cross-legged yeah fingertips touching one another and all that kind of thing <laughs> and i i had the same experience as you and, and i also found that i'm not I, I guess i'm just maybe this is maybe this is the reason i should meditate but i'm just not patient enough to do that thing but but what i ended up doing was i ended up kind of reframing it and started to engage in things that were meditative yeah Uh, and you know the the most common one they throw out there is doing the dishes yeah it's like you're focused on that one thing and you're just doing that and there's some sensory stuff happening so I started doing that and and that really works better for me than actual sitting down meditation Mm -hmm. so yeah people have to really experiment with that kind of thing with with whatever tools work you know go through
1: absolutely I mean there's you can bring mindfulness to absolutely every moment Mm -hmm. in your life, Mm -hmm. whether it's washing dishes or going for a walk or sitting down and doing a meditation practice. It Mm -hmm. doesn't really matter. So it's just about that quality of mind that you bring to the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's true, like cooking, chopping vegetables, mopping Mm -hmm. the floor, all of those things. And actually even driving now are mindful for me. Um, Oh
0: Yeah. I, I love driving because yeah, my, I'm my, I'm focusing on doing this thing, but there's still this train of thought that gets enters and exits because I am ultimately distracted by that key point of having to survive while you're driving, <laughs> stay on the road, go the right speed, et etc., etc. Yes, yeah, those are super helpful, you know, ways to look at it. I yeah. I want to quickly ask you about your role as an educator. Yeah. Uh, what what do you do? What what have you done? Historically, what do you do now in in terms of being an educator?
1: Well, that was something I started to notice, especially when I went into the elementary, because kids just wear their hearts on their sleeve when they're little. And I was suddenly noticing panic attacks Very serious anxiety over simple things like transitions, like just going into like an assembly or Mm -hmm. uh, even bigger things like fire drills, you know, like major anxiety. And I was like, this is this isn't good. We need to do something about it. And you and I both know that being told to calm down and that it'll <laughs> yeah. be fine is not that helpful.
0: If only it was that easy.
1: If only. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I would calm down if I knew how. Yeah. So um, okay. I actually started in our whole school meetings, which are like the new way of calling it an assembly.
2: Right. Um, yeah.
1: I started leading um, group um, mindful practice. In oh, amazing. The whole school. Yeah. And it was great. I, researched as best as I could um, practices that make sense to children that are accessible to children. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, there's like the five finger breath where you like breathe in and breathe out and
2: Mm -hmm. breathe
1: in and breathe out. You know, using things that are um, immediately accessible to them and that are easy for them to follow. Right. and i've been told by parents that you know their kids have like suddenly in a moment of family stress pulled out their hand and started <laughs> finger breathing and, amazing you know. yeah. yeah yeah So really neat yeah so we did a whole bunch of um just group practices we
0: mm-hmm.
1: start the week that way mm-hmm. and then um we would do it also in staff meetings sometimes, so that teachers would get a little mm-hmm. extra practice and could bring. Oh it
0: my gosh! Practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Teach, so this is this is you're saying. This was this uh, at a elementary level or yeah. middle ele- elementary. Yeah, teachers would need to practice that <laughs> as
2: well. <laughs> it's very stressful job.
0: Yeah, no yeah. kidding. Mm-hmm. No, I mean that's amazing to have people in place like you that are actually because I I really feel like the earliest years are the most important years to start establishing those habits. With my kids, I I, you know, I st- mental health was just always part of the discussion because I wear mental health on my sleeve. Like you can tell if I'm if I'm depressed or anxious, you can read up my face immediately. So of course the kids would naturally have questions and I would tell them the absolute truth.
2: Yeah.
0: So they really understand more. It takes the pressure way off me. Yeah. And it gives them an idea of this this is what can happen to people yeah. too. So that, that's really you know, amazing. I, one of the things that one of the things that, that you talked about earlier that I found c- kind of curious and, and happens a lot was this idea of, well, first of all, I've only heard it called postpartum depression. I've never heard it. And, and I've, and I never thought anxiety counted, yeah. but it's got to count. Like because <laughs> those, those two anxiety and depression are constantly arm in arm.
1: They are. They're friends.
0: Skipping down the garden. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Right. Um, So when when you experienced that, what kind of, like, was this anxiety generated by, you know, oh, no, I have this pressure that I have to raise this little child or, oh, no, I have to protect this child from everything that's dangerous. I'm curious to know, like, you know, what, what how you're being affected by that new all of a sudden that new responsibility and that new real human presence in your in your house
1: I mean I thought I loved my dog and then your baby's born and it's like being hit by a 10 ton truck yeah uh the love that you feel is so at least for me was so immediate and so intense and with it came this huge thing like responsibility the um the sense that nobody on this planet loves this baby as much as me, and that's big. It was like a very and, and that's
0: big. absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, That's it's true. true.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it felt like, uh, like as much as it was really wonderful, it felt it did feel to me like a big, um, source of anxiety. A big oh,
0: definitely, wave. definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. I, I talked to my midwife really briefly about it, and she said that it was normal because basically were the successful result of 10,000 generations of women who've birthed their babies Mm -hmm. and the not anxious ones got eaten by hyenas on the Serengeti (laughs) because they're just left out there and the more anxious ones um you know passed on their genes Mm -hmm. so that I did understand but it seemed like other moms out there were able to like drive on the highway and
2: hmm.
1: like function in a way that I really wasn't able to mm-hmm. um and I did fail my screen even though it's like they because they do the postpartum screening and right. I failed mm. it <laughs> I think I got like <laughs> three out of ten and I was like but I'm not sad
0: <laughs> right yeah 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 so I was
1: confused at the time
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I think yeah I think it was a lot of things. I think I was overwhelmed. I think I had the usual, like, I don't know about you, but for me, perfectionism is definitely like Otis operandi. So everything has to be perfect. And as you and I both know, now that we're a little bit older, there's no such thing as being a perfect parent. It's really hard and you fail over and over again.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're not presented with we're not presented with what we expect to be presented with no like you know when both my kids were when my first when my first my daughter was born the very first moment i looked at her as like i'm in big trouble because yeah. this is not part me and part my wife this is like 100 her and what am i dealing with yeah. and then it's she's 20 now and it's still unfolding yeah. i still don't know exactly what i'm dealing with <laughs> um, because they are fluid as well you yeah, know absolutely yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, children definitely do throw a curveball aside from, you know, having a chemical level postpartum depression or, or whatever, you know, it's still a curveball. I was really interested to hear you mention, you know, your perception of other parents, Yeah, which of course we, we all do, Mm -hmm. you know, we all compare. Yeah, and, and, you know, I, I ran into that as a parent too, you know, like, oh my gosh, like, you know, this person, like they're going camping this weekend, they're in yes. athletics here, they're doing art here, you know, their child won the Nobel prize a couple of years ago. And it's, <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, I'm just failing miserably. I'm going to make a, a child, a, a human who's going to have no idea how to, you know, how to function in society. And yeah. uh, we are, people are, you know, my message is people are out there playing that comparison game. You're wrong. Yeah.
1: Uh, It's true. Yeah. They're not perfect either because nobody wins the parenting game. I don't think it's not about that. I think for me, there was the chemical part as Mm -hmm. well, but there was also, I think I did not know how to identify what was going on with me and then also ask for help. So I had no idea that, Mm. you know, um, I was struggling, and mm-hmm. that if I just said to somebody, Could you come and hold the baby so I could have a shower? You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that would have been great.
0: And, and yeah. did you get to that point? Like, did you get to a point where you're like, I'm going to find help? Or did you kind of, you I know, muscle your way through,
1: through it? Man. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, I, no, incredible. I mm-hmm. look back now and wish that I'd been a bit more, you know, gentle with myself and, and, more just more aware so that I yeah. could have asked for help because I know people would have helped me yeah I just you know no I was just muscling through so do you
0: think there was a sense of a sense of pride about that like a sense of I feel you know and I I want to say and I don't want to be I don't want this to be too much a gen- generalization but I feel like moms definitely have a different amount of pressure that they put on themselves and that's expected of them than oh. dads do
2: Totally. You know, there's some reality
0: to the perception that, you know, dads come in and have fun and, and, you know, I, and I tackled hard stuff with my kids too, but I didn't have a child hanging off, you know, my breast for one to two years. Yeah. Um, I had
1: two years of that times too, because I had two kids.
0: Yeah. And also
1: like, I think, I don't know if this is just being a product of a child in the eighties, but Mm -hmm. I, I had this super mom thing that I thought I had to be, Mm -hmm. that is not helpful like my mom entered she she did a a degree and work but then she took like 15 years off to raise the family and then went back to her career Mm -hmm. whereas that wasn't even remotely an option for me yeah so it was like Oh, I can do it all. I can run the house, look after the babies, breastfeed them for two years, run a school, like you name it. I got this, but I didn't have it. And that's where things started to to get really tough for me.
0: What a tremendous amount of pressure that people put (laughs) on themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and 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 I I really feel like those those moms and those parents that you say out there that are, you know, that look like they're perfect or look like there's there's perfection, the chances are they're suffering. Um, chances are they're feeling a lot of pressure and somehow yeah. getting through it yeah um, I think you know I think unfortunately it, it all comes back to bitus in one form or the other yeah and you know yeah. like you talked about asking for help or talking to somebody I think that's like that's a huge thing to to be able to do and it, and it shouldn't be seen as a sign of weakness no um, or a sign I'm, that you're not right? a, yeah that you're not a good mom you know mm-hmm. that, this whole pressure mm-hmm. of parenting is just astronomical and and now yeah. it's such a different game you know you yeah, know, you you and I both grew up in the '80s, and it's uh, I can't I have a hard time coaching my kids about what to do with screens. I Yeah, all they've known, and I you know I I think there's a
1: struggle with that.
0: Yeah, and I think this is part of the evolution, mm-hmm. for good or mm-hmm. for bad, it's part mm-hmm. of the evolution. But yep, yeah. But i, 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 I mean,
1: you're right. The expectations for parenting are different. My parents' way, which was totally normal at the time, was to kick us out the door, mm-hmm. and you would come back at dinner, and if yep. we if we came back before dinner they'd kind of ask us why we were there like yeah, just go yeah. and play in the neighborhood and yeah. go away like mm-hmm. it, it, you know so there was we figured it out for good or bad out there um, yeah
0: oh totally so same with us and I yeah. and I wonder where that changed you know if that's a cultural thing where yeah. all of a sudden it's not safe
1: yeah,
2: I think um, that's totally
0: and, it. And and I don't know if it's not safe.
2: Agreed.
0: You know? I don't I, know I, either. Yeah. <laughs> I I uh, because when I was out there, uh, I grew up in kind of you know in a in a town that was transitioning from industrial to more uh, gentrified, and it was run and gun. It was insanity out there, <laughs> and, and and I, I somehow survived. Yeah, I somehow survived and. And, but one thing we were as kids is we were really savvy and we were really, we knew how to, we knew who to, you know, who we learned, who to trust, who to not trust and all those things just on our own. And, and, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's, it's hard for me to say because I'm not a kid growing up in this era, Yeah. but I don't, I, I never wanted to raise my kids, uh, being afraid of the world. Let's just put it that way.
2: Me neither. Yeah. yeah. Totally. <laughs> and, and I'm not
0: saying that's easy. It's not an easy thing to do, you know, where I live and where you live also, we, you know, we're in what I would say slightly more safe environment. Yeah. Um, my kids were out in the woods all day, yeah. um, basically naked. I, I don't even, yeah. I don't remember 100%. really wearing clothes. <laughs> no,
2: my boys
1: finally put clothes on. I think at six years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and,
0: and in the, you know, in the woods, bare feet, yep. streams and cliffs and they, they're, yeah thriving and wonderful now yeah i am i'd like to switch to your cancer diagnosis absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. um because i have historically and for a long time struggled with health anxiety Mm. so you know to the point where it's like i i I had it to the point where it was like any little twinge any little thing Um, so Mm -hmm. So health anxiety is a big thing. You, you're kind of on the other side of that. I mean, you not yeah. on the other side, but you, you know, you, you have obviously re- received a diagnosis. Yeah. Um, if, if you don't mind, maybe tell us a little bit about that and, and what yeah. that experience has been like for you.
1: For sure. That actually came out of the blue for me. I was not expect, I thought I never questioned whether I was healthy because I was one of those people who, you know, jogged frequently, went to the mm-hmm. gym, tried to eat you know, the way that they said to eat as much as possible, I didn't smoke or drink, you know, just all of those things. So yeah. it never occurred to me that I and we and there's no family history for breast cancer in my family either. So
2: yeah.
1: I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. Um so what happened was I found a lump, went and got it assessed, and they told me that it was fine. So two years went by without me knowing
0: Wow. it was okay. actually
1: breast cancer. It's kind of common for people with um, dense breast tissue to go miss, to, to have that happen. So right. now they're a bit more careful. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so it out of the blue, I like couldn't believe it, but I... Got, you know, I went back because the lump was still there, and then they did a biopsy, and I found out in my office at school that I had breast cancer.
2: Wow. Um,
1: And so that was almost the second time I think in my life where I felt like I was hit by a truck because it really like changes everything about how you see things.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: You know, we're supposed to live in. The moment we're supposed to not, um, you know, not wait. We're supposed to enjoy life, you know. Yeah. Drink the good coffee. Wear your pearls. Like use the good china. But <laughs> yeah. we don't, you know. Like we we always have that when condition. I'd like
0: time. to note that you're wearing pearls right now. I am. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> okay. Sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, on purpose. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So anyway. um Yeah, so it was very shocking. And of course you are, it's that future thinking that starts to kick in about what does this mean Mm -hmm. for my future? What am I going to do? And, you know, I thought at the time my original diagnosis was for a certain type of breast cancer and it was staged at like stage two, Mm -hmm. which generally has pretty good outcomes with it. However, unbeknownst to me, um, I think I had two breast cancers and only one was detected.
0: Wow. Yeah. Which
1: isn't very common. Wow. Um, so the first one was treated and then the second one wasn't treated. And so it just grew and grew. And so then two years later, I got re-diagnosed with breast cancer with a different type and a whole new set of treatments and, and whatnot. Right. Yeah. And I do have that health anxiety. So my, you know, my partner's sick of me going, okay, do you feel lump there? What does that, because it hurts, you know, when you've had, I've had three surgeries, I've had chemo and radiation. So my whole shoulder area is just like, Toast. Yeah. And so it constantly hurts. Mm-hmm. And I also live with the anxiety that the cancer will recur because mm-hmm. that's, you know, a possibility, of course.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so really it's just about, you know, using those tools that I I got from learning how to drive on the highway again mm-hmm. and flying again and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So it's like, oh, there's that brainworm thought that I have where. I'm thinking that this pain equals cancer.
0: <laughs> right, yeah.
1: You and I both know that that may not be the case. There's lots of other
0: Highly likely it's reasons. not the case.
1: Highly re- likely given yeah. I just had a scan that said that I was doing pretty good. So Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so really it's just about um a- again trying not to scenarioize, trying not to be in the future all the time and just trying to like um you know, just touch in with what I know right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, going back to your phone call when you got that phone uh, call, I assume it was a phone call.
2: It was a phone call. Well,
0: uh, all I'm curious about is, <laughs> was that did that feel like a new kind of like I, I assume you were hit by anxiety. I assume oh, you yes. <laughs> had a had a rush or a flush of <laughs> absolute panic and anxiety. Yeah. Did it feel different than what you had experienced before?
1: A little bit, yeah. Good. It was almost um, not quite dissociative, but it was very much like reality was not quite reality as I'm normally used to it. I what happened was they called me in my office and said you need to come in today and you need to bring someone and they need to be able to take notes, which is obviously breast cancer. Yep, so, there's yeah, a red flag yeah, definitely that, that going a, up. <laughs> so I actually couldn't handle being at work and I didn't think it was fair to people at work for me to stay so I right of
0: course not yeah Yeah, of course not
1: and but I had like three hours oh appointment so I walked around um you know with my partner and we just kind of were sad and we walked around and we were just kind of like my breath was really really tight Mm -hmm. and thing I sort of felt floaty if Mm -hmm. you
2: know what I mean yeah. And then
1: when I was in the doctor's office and it was all confirmed um yeah it it got very um hmm, I'm t- I can't even describe what that was like but basically you know it's it's almost like the world just shrinks a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 Would you say that the experience once you got the doctor's which was harder? experience the three hours before or when you were in the doctor's office because I'm I'm, trying to tap into that anticipatory anxiety piece
1: I don't know I'll get into you know yeah they're different but both both of them suck yeah of
0: course
1: of (laughs) course they do told you have cancer and it's also not fun being pretty sure that you have cancer Mm -hmm. (laughs) waiting for test results and actually throughout my cancer journey the hot some of the hardest parts is that anticipatory part yeah because you move from, you only get little snippets of information along the way. So right. there's the initial diagnosis, and then there's, well, a, like a three week break before you get the doctor's appointment with your oncologist. And then you've yeah. got a two week break before you get your scan or your mm-hmm. test or, you know, begin treatment. Mm-hmm. That whole time, your brain is like, you know, going into that future dark place that it goes to sometimes.
2: So mm.
0: yeah. when you were, okay, you mentioned that you did have health anxiety. Yeah. When you, when you had health anxiety, did you ever go to the point of anticipating what that scenario would be like? Like when you went to that point of fear, hypothetically, before you found out you had breast cancer, do you remember go, do you remember doing that? Cause I'm curious what, you know, cause there's this difference to me. There's a difference between what people anticipate, how people anticipate they're going to react and how people actually react right so you know I'm, I'm curious if you have any gauge of that or if you didn't really go that far you know no,
1: i didn't go that far I right right but I, you know i i i know the the things that i do like one of my coping mechanisms is i click into overdrive like super mm-hmm. comes out and i'd like power clean and i make a million phone calls to set up you know, phone call, like just get like appointments and, Mm -hmm. you know, like I start to research and read and like, you know, that is one of my, and you
0: found that help. You found that helpful.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really like a fight or flight response for me. I think it's, even though it seems very proactive, it's not, you know, um, it, it can be intense sometimes, but, um, I guess there's a proactiveness
2: to it. It's, yeah,
0: totally. It seems to me that that is a coping mechanism that would be good for a lot of anxiety inducing scenarios.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: I certainly do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I take it as gaining some control in a situation I don't have control oh, in. Totally. You know? and, and when you take that control,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, that really helps alleviate because, you know, I've done everything I can do.
1: Yes, totally. You know,
0: setting up appointments, talking to friends researching, yeah. getting good sleep, whatever it is. Like, I, I feel like that's, that's, it, it, it doesn't sound like it's, it, it sounds like a completely rational and very helpful way to do things. Because I know, you know, with, with me historically with anxiety or depression, sometimes I just completely turn inward and I do nothing. Um, yeah. And that just feeds into, you know, into not being able to, you know, cope with the future. But, you yeah. know, the, what you're talking about, like preparing, um, I think is an excellent way to deal with, you know, not just what you're going through, but maybe going uh, like with me, I, I had, a I I I still do. I, I don't like traveling. I have anxiety about traveling. Yeah, and so I, I pack like a week in advance.
1: Yeah, me too. You know, I, I said <laughs> I get
0: everything set up so I don't have to think about it the day of or the night before. Those are the two worst times. Yeah. And that kind of prep and that kind of taking control, yeah. I think really helps. And you do you do it or you did it instinctively.
2: Yeah,
1: for sure. I did. And I'm pleased to say that I'm also at the place in my life where I am aware that I'm doing it. And I'm also sometimes um, able to just, um, uh, I don't just, you know, know that at some point I have to give up some control here. Like, of course, I can't can't control whether my cancer is going to come back or not. I can't control The plane because I don't know how to fly. And so, you know, those kinds of things. So there has to be that moment of sort of wisdom now where I, you know, hand it on over to someone else. Uh,
0: Yeah. And you have no choice in many cases. And and what I think is good is to recognize that you have no choice and there's freedom and not having choice because I, you know, you mentioned that with the airplane because all my fear of flying came from anticipation before the flight. When I got on the flight, I had zero anxiety. Right. Because I had relinquished control.
2: Right.
0: So then I just made that leap. I'm like, well, if I'm not anxious on the flight, then I'm not going to bother being anxious before the flight. I've committed to going. I'm going to go. That's the end of it. Um, So, yeah, I I, yeah, there's a lot. You're the the you know, the techniques that you've developed instinctively are, are astonishing. You know, it's really incredible because, well, no, I I'm serious because a lot of people, they don't, you've, you know, I've taught, I've done interviews with people specifically who don't have anxiety. And and the reason is because I want to know why, you know, they have, how
2: can you be that way? (laughs) They
0: have all the same stimulus that we get, Yeah. but they have, like you say, the way of discounting negative thoughts, Mm -hmm. the ways of planning, the -hmm. ways of, you know, taking care of themselves, sleeping or diet or whatever. And they Mm -hmm. instinctively have it. I I I really am angry at them for instinctively having it. <laughs> <because> so unfair. <laughs> I wanted that. I wanted to instinctively have that. But, you know, I feel like it, and maybe you've experienced this too, but with my mental health journey, it's definitely it's made me a stronger, more resilient yeah, person than I than than I ever would have been. And yeah. so that's like trying to pull, you know, that's the classic trying to find a silver lining,
2: totally.
1: I know, yeah. I know there's so many times I would love to go back with the knowledge that I have now and and do a whole bunch of redos in my life. That would sure mm-hmm. be great. But um really, you're right. there you if you're looking for a silver lining, the the main one is that, yeah, I'm more aware and more resilient now. So, that's what I've got. <laughs>
0: well, the beauty of being a parent is we gather all this wisdom and all this knowledge and we pass it on to our teenagers and they don't listen and they have to make the mistake anyway.
1: 100%. Yes, I know.
0: I try.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's true. It's but just... I mean, I recall also not listening to my parents and oh, yeah, what do they what know? What they were talking about what as well. Know? So, yeah, so fair <laughs> enough.
0: It's karma. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to make your own mistakes. Uh, yeah. In many cases, unfortunately, um, but honestly, it sounds like you really haven't made many mistakes, Kelda. I, <laughs> I can't express how wonderful it's been talking to you. Um, this has just been a great, a great story. It's been so fun to hear and so fun to talk to you. I obviously know you. Yes. From around and to know this extra level with you is fabulous for me. So thanks so much for taking the time today to talk to us about your anxiety story.
1: Well, thanks for inviting me and letting me share and for being such a fantastic host.
0: Oh, well, thank you. We'll see you at the coffee shop.
1: Yep. We'll be, I'll be there. You know that.
0: <laughs> okay. Take care, Kelda. <laughs> yeah,
1: okay, See ya.
0: Okay. Thank you for listening to our anxiety stories. If you'd like to support this podcast or Anxiety Canada, go to anxietycanada.com.